We want to thank you today for joining us at Truth Chapel's podcast. I pray this word would bring you life. I pray that it would edify you, encourage you, and enlighten you. If you have a moment, please subscribe and leave us a review. We will be so grateful. God bless, and let this word speak to your heart today. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, continuing my series, the book of Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Somebody said amen. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for this time of Bible study. We ask you now that you would open this word to us, grow us, mature us, teach us today, Lord. Teach us tonight. And God, will be careful to not only be hearers of the word, but doers also. We pray all this in your precious name. Someone shout in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Thank you. Uh, for standing with me tonight. Amen. A couple, uh, couple of Wednesday nights ago, I started a series uh, in the book of Acts, and um, I'm going to try to go through. I'm, I, I took my time in chapter 1, and I'm probably going to take my time in chapter 2, but from here on, I'll try to do two or three chapters together combined, uh, and, and we'll get through this because I don't know if you're aware of this. Acts is bigger than two chapters. It's, it's like 27 chapters deep, and there's a lot of good stuff in here. It's the birth of the church, and it doesn't all happen overnight. Uh, really, it, it spans about a, about a 50 to 60 year span is what the book of Acts covers. And it, it covers the, the, the birth of the church and then the establishment of the church. And we're going to go through some of that stuff. But there's a few things I want to talk tonight about Acts chapter 2. Our, one of our favorite chapters as a movement, being Pentecostal and being apostolic, we have experienced this experience. Uh, there, there are a few uh, moments in the Bible that people can say, I experienced that. Amen? Like, like we love to read about the frogs and the blood and the water and the lice and, 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 and the hailstorms, but no one's experienced that. No one that, that's alive. And, and, and we love to, you know, to preach about the, the Red Sea parting, but no one's experienced that. No one got to live through that. And you know what? We love to talk about all the different moments and miracles and mighty moments in, in, in the Word of God. But many of them, most of them, are things that we see in the Word of God, but not things that we as a people have experienced. The New Testament is a little bit different because we've all, uh, if you've been around for a while, we've seen miracles, we've seen signs, we've seen wonders. We've, we've heard about people being healed of, of, of uh, diseases and we've, we've heard about people being raised from the dead and, and those things still happen today. But there's many things in the Bible that we have not actually been able to partake in. A, a lot of things in the Old Testament uh, we haven't been able to partake in. But in the New Testament, we're able to partake. That's why we call ourselves Pentecostals because many of us in this room, if not all of us, have had the Pentecostal experience. We have received the gift of the Holy Ghost like they did by the evidence of speaking in tongues. Amen? I thought more people would say amen when I, when I said that. Amen, amen. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I don't like to be that preacher, but sometimes I have to be. Um, now, uh, a few things I want to point out 
early on in Acts chapter 2 is the Bible says when the day of Pentecost was fully come. What, what does that mean, that it's fully come? It means uh, probably this happened around 6 a.m. in the morning because that was the beginning of the day uh, for, uh, you know, the Jewish uh, calendar and, and the way that the Jews at that time and still many even, even today, the, the day begins and ends with the rising of the sun and the setting of the same. So they believe this when the day starts. Now, me and you, our, the way our clocks work, we start a day at midnight. That's, that's, midnight is the beginning of the day. Uh, if you, if you uh, adhere to a lunar day, that when the, when, when, when the clock strikes 12, that's the beginning of a new day. But the Jews believe that the day began when the sun rose, somewhere between, between 545, depending on 530 to 6:30 somewhere in there depending on what time of year it would be that was the that was the start of the day what happened at the day of Pentecost happened early in the morning it happened early in the morning that day of, when the day of Pentecost was fully come and it happened now we know this happened early because later on once it was noised abroad and the crowd came and everybody showed up, you know, this didn't happen in seconds. This took probably took minutes and hours for all these people to show up, to hear about it, for them to come all from all over the city. It was at that time only 9 o'clock. We know that because Peter will reference the third hour of the day. They believe the day started at 6. He, Peter was talking at 9. All right, so we have a three-hour period here where the Holy Ghost has failed. The day of Pentecost was fully come. It was there, and they were all in one. The Bible uses this word that they were all in one accord. That's what uh, um, the Bible would not say they were in one mind, in one accord. We, we add that, but the Bible doesn't say that. That, that. That's something that we add because the word used here, uh, which um, if you want to sound that out, it sounds like this, homothu, homothu madon. Is, is, is the actual word they use here for accord. And that word accord means unanimous, one mind, and one passion. That's what that word means. It means unanimous, that they were all in one mind. And so a lot of, we hear people quote this scripture, they'll use that. They were all in one mind and one accord and one place. They'll use that even though the Bible doesn't say one mind. It meant one mind. They were, it, they were all unanimous. Now, um, most theologians agree that they had been in this room for 10 days. They've been in this room for 10 days, praying and seeking God for 10 whole days in, in this room. No, they believe that no one left and that no one came. That the, the, the original 120 that showed up on the first day, they were the ones that were there when this thing, when this thing happened. For 10 days they prayed. Now, uh, you know, the Bible likes to use these words and the Bible says they were all in one cord, one place, and suddenly. Now, uh, you may have heard me say this before, but um, I, I preached a message. I don't even know if I preached it here uh, before, but I preached a message called, When Suddenly Comes Slowly. Because the Bible says suddenly, but they've been praying for 10 days. And, and, and you know, in my estimation, 10 days ain't suddenly. Like that's, that, that's a minute. That, that takes a little while. I'm about to be living in my basement for around 10 days, and it don't feel like suddenly. It, it feels like a long time. It feels like a prison sentence. It's a long time. And so when the Bible says suddenly there came a sound from heaven 
as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. You know, for us, for the, for, for the writer who's writing this, Luke, uh, who, who's writing this story, and he, he, you know, he's writing in a graphic way, he's saying suddenly. But for the people who were there, they know that this has been a process of prayer and coming together. It took them 10 days to really get in this unanimous form that God moved in unity. Amen? And, and it took 10 days to get that unity, but those 10 days were connected to the actual day of Pentecost. There was unity and the time was right. Now, here's what I want to say is God was going to come on that Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was the day, but they had to be in unity at the right time. And here's what I like to say to the church using this text right here as a moment of teaching is that we should stay in unity because we don't know the Lord's timing. I'm going to say it one more time. We should stay in unity because we do not know the Lord's timing. The Lord's timing is always right, but our unity has to match with his timing. And so we should strive, that's what Paul would say later on in the New Testament, that we should strive to be unified until we come into the unity of the faith. That we should be unified as brothers and sisters, even if we all just don't believe the exact same. That the unity of the faith will come, but we don't need to have unity of under, we all don't need to have unity of, of what we believe up, down, left, right, here a little, there a little, to still be in unity. Okay, let me say that one more time. Paul, what Paul told us was this, he said, we should strive for unity until we come in the unity of the faith. Because what Paul knew is if, if we're waiting for everybody to believe the exact same, we're going to be waiting too long. We can agree to disagree on some things, but we still need to be unified. There's some things that we might not see eye to eye on, but that doesn't mean that I'm your enemy. Hello, somebody. There's some things that, you know, may be here a little, there a little. You may see it this way. I may see it that way, but we're still unified. I guarantee you that all 120 people in this room didn't believe the exact same thing, but they were all in one accord, and they were all in one place. They were unified. It was unanimous, and when there was unity, God's spirit fell in unity at the right time, that they were at the right time at the right place, but they were also in unity. Amen. I believe that there's been moments that God could have moved, but we were in the right time and the right place, just not in the right frame of mind. Amen. That, that, that God could have done a work because it was his season and it was his timing, but the church wasn't unified. Matter of fact, I believe that we are literally standing in the right time and we're standing in the right place. And what God may be waiting for is a church unified to pour out his blessing on the church, to pour out his power, to pour out his harvest, to pour out his revival. That really, we, we've never, hear, hear me now, we've never been waiting on God, but God has always been waiting on us. Amen? That, that, that when the church began, everything that God had promised them was here. I want to I point something out here, and I want to make it very, very clear. That everything that God promised the church took place in Acts chapter 2. From there on, it's just building on the promises. 
So here's what I want to say is that we are not waiting for promises. There, there is nothing that God has promised the church that we are collectively waiting on God to do. Everything that God said he was going to do has already been done. It's already been established. It's already here. We have to access it. Amen? That we're not waiting on some great moment. We're not waiting on some great timing. You know, someone said, well, I believe the end times are upon us. Jesus said that these are the end times in the book of Matthew. And if that was the end times there, matter of fact, in this same chapter, Peter will reference that this is the end times. And if it was the end times then, my God, it's definitely the end times now. We've never been more close. We're not waiting on the right time, and we're not waiting, waiting on the right place. We're waiting on the right spirit of unity in the church. For they will know that you are my, my disciples when they see how you love one another. Amen. So they're all in the house, their field, um, the, the sound of heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. There was no wind. It just sounded like wind. <laughs> it was a sound that sounded like wind blowing. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it set upon each of them. So it appeared unto them, as they looked around the room, what they could see is above everybody's head, there was a little flame of fire, fire flickering on the top of their head. This is where, you know, when you, a, a lot of times when we see like, you know, uh, the book of Acts or, or, or we see a church, you know, that's a book of Acts church or a Pentecostal church, there's always a flame. All right? And, and what that flame represents is the cloven tongues like as fire that's set up on each of them. Because, because, because John the Baptist told him that there is one who's coming who's mightier than I. He will not just baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Yes, yes. So to them, they are receiving the Holy Ghost and fire is there so they know this is the right thing because Jesus told them the same thing. And John the Baptist told them this. So now they're receiving the Holy Ghost. They see the fire. It appeared on, upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Let me, let, let me show you this. They were all filled with tongues. No. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this revival that's about to happen in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 souls are about to be saved that we know of. The Bible says about 3,000. Could have been 2,932. We don't know. It could have been 3,115. But it was about 3,000. I love that. The, 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 the word, you know, is it doesn't give us a specific number so that we don't make a religion out of a number. The Bible knows us too well. But, man, if there's not exactly 3,000 people, we're not really doing it right. You know, no, it's about, you know, it's about 3,000. It's about 3,000. So, so, so we know that, that, that this is about to happen this moment. And the reason, the reason that many are going to come to this moment and hear the preaching of Peter will be because of the tongues and not the Holy Ghost. 
Yeah. The reason that this, that this thing's about to pop off, and, we, we're, and we're going to see it, that there were so many Jews that were there because of the feast, the Passover moment, they're all there, and someone began to talk about this. Man, this is crazy. The multitude came together. They were confounded. Why were they confounded? Because every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans, verse 8, and how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Now, let me skip down because the, the Bible tells us who all was there, the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the dwellers of Mesopotamia, all the people who were there. And verse 11 says the Cretes and uh, Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were speaking in tongues, but they were speaking in, Paul will say this, though I speak with the tongues of angels and the tongues of men. That some tongues are not decipherable. It's the tongues of angels. But Paul said, I also speak with the tongues of men, meaning these are languages. These are languages that men understand. And how did they all know those languages? The last time that God made everybody in the room speak in another tongue was when they were building the Tower of Babel. And they said, we will build this for our name, what the Bible says. We will build this for our name. And the Lord said, if I don't give them new tongues, different tongues, there's nothing that will be withheld from them. And so he gave them new tongues, and each man found someone who could speak in his tongue, and they all separated. This is where we believe that the languages of the world originated from, from the Tower of Babel. Now, God's doing it again, but not for their name, for his name. Okay, 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 okay. And so they're, they're all amazed, and, and they're speaking, and, and what they're saying somehow is connected to the wonderful works of God. They are praising God. So we'll see this several times in the New Testament when the Bible says they will prophesy and praise God. That, that they're speaking in tongues and they're using those tongues to glorify God. Verse 12 says they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Or what is this? What is happening? We don't understand this. I'm, I'm from Arabia. You're from um, you know, you're from Mesopotamia, you're from Asia Minor, but we can all understand these Galileans who are all speaking with this new tongue. Now, it's amazing to me that all these people are Galileans because it was in Galilee that Jesus did his first miracle or Cana of Galilee where Jesus did his first miracle where he turned water into wine. And the first thing Peter would say, this is, oh yeah, no, I can't say it again, Siri. Um, and this will be the moment where Peter would say, these men are not drunk as you suppose, but this is what the prophet Joel spoke about. And Joel spoke about that new wine. Amen. Uh, all these Galileans are drunk off that new wine that the prophet Joel spoke about. And, and, and this happens when, when the men began to say, these men 
are drunk off new wine. That's what they thought at the wedding at the Cana, in Cana of Galilee, these Galileans, when they said, wow, you saved the new wine for the end of the wedding when most people bring it out at the beginning of the wedding. Oh, hallelujah. But Peter stood up and Peter began to preach. He lifted up his voice and said unto them, verse 14, ye men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Listen to me. These are not drunk like ye suppose. He didn't say they weren't drunk. He just said they not drunk like you thinking. They drunk. But they're not drunk like you thinking. Uh, but this is that. Because they said, what meaneth this? What is this? He said, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke about. It shall come to pass in the last days. He's begin, he begins to quote the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants and all my handmaids, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, the prophet Joel spoke about that, but we see it early on in the book of Numbers, chapter 11. When the spirit of Moses was poured out on the 70, the Bible says that the 70 in the, in the temple began to speak with new tongues and to prophesy. And they began to praise God. And uh, Joshua and Caleb said, hey, listen, Eldad and Medad are outside the camp, and they are prophesying in the camp, should we tell them to stop? Because they're not, they're not in here. And, and Moses said, are you jealous for you or for me? He said, because God would, here's the type in shadow, here's the foreshadowing of this moment. He said, God would that all of his people were prophets and that he would, they would all be filled with his spirit. Yeah. That's all the way back, that's Moses in Numbers 11, shadowing the fact that one day God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Joel is the prophesier of this, that he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Your daughter shall prophesy, your son shall prophesy, your young men shall dream dreams, your old men shall dream, uh, so young men shall see visions, old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaids, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is, this is what Peter begins to preach this. He, he's giving them the explanation of, of what he's, he's seeing. Now, let me say this. Peter is not saying, he, he's not saying for himself. I want everybody to understand something about the New Testament. There are moments that are salvational moments. And then there are moments that are repeated prophecy. When, because some people will read the book of Acts and they will take this one scripture right here and say, who shall ever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what Peter said. So that's how you're saved. You just call on the name of the Lord. But Peter is not giving a salvational reference. Peter is quoting the prophet Joel. You hear me? This is not a salvational text. We cannot take this text and make this text the salvational model for how people get saved. Because some churches will say, hey, listen, if you stand up and proclaim Jesus, call on him, you're saved. And that is taking the scripture out of context. Peter is not giving a salvational 
statement, Peter is quoting the prophet Joel. Do you get that? You understand what I'm saying here? You, you get what I'm saying? So he, he's quoting that, but now Peter will stop quoting the prophet Joel and now speak for himself, ye men of Israel, uh, verse number 22. Follow me along. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. So he's done He's done prophesying. He's done repeating the prophecy from Joel. Now he's going to give explanation of what's going on. This is the message of Acts chapter 2. I want to make this very clear to everybody listening. This is the message of Acts chapter 2. Repent, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Ghost. That is not the message of Acts chapter 2. Now, I get in a lot of trouble for this in, in, in some circles of the apostolic movement. People don't like when I say this because they're like, uh-uh, that is the message. But can I just help you tonight? Read the, read the scripture. Stop listening to people preach and read the scripture. Because if you read it, you'll see that the message that Peter preached is so good that the men will say, wow, what a message. What shall we do with this message? Then he will give them the altar call. You know what I'm saying? The response to this message that Peter's about to preach is repent. What you're about to hear elicits a response from the hearer. And here's the response to the word. Repent. Be baptized. Be filled. That's the response. But here's the message. Are you ready? Verse 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. That's all you need to know right there. This message is about Jesus. This story is about Jesus. We have majored on the altar call and we have minored on the message. All we preach is repent, be baptized, be filled. But that's not what Peter preached. Peter preached Jesus. If we preach Jesus, the response to Jesus is, what shall we do? What shall we do? Here's the deal. We bring people in. They don't know nothing from nothing. And all we are doing is telling them what to do. Why would I do that? Because Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. He died. This is his death. Whom God hath raised up. Death, burial, resurrection. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And now, because he's talking to Jews, he's going to reference their favorite Jew, David. For David speaketh concerning him. For I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. He's quoting David now. You can't Listen, when you're talking to a group of Jews, there's no more perfect person to quote than David. Right? 
This is what David said, I foresaw the Lord before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. He's speaking that David prophesied that Jesus would be resurrected. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thine countenance, men and brethren. So let me, let me go back here. From 25 to 28 is Peter quoting David from the book of Psalms, the book that they all know by heart. So he quotes them. Now verse 20 said, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with you until this day. Meaning, what he's saying here is, you heard David prophesy that, but David is dead. So, David could not have been talking about himself. When David said, you shall not, when David said, you shall not allow your Holy One to see death, David wasn't talking about himself. And Peter proves that by letting him know, y'all got David's grave right over there. We know he's dead. He's both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us until this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, not him, but his seed, According to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did seek corruption. He was only dead for three days. Four days is the day of corruption. Lord, don't open it up. It's, he's been dead four days. He stinketh. Oh, hallelujah. David wasn't talking about David. David was talking about his seed who he knew that, Christ, that God would raise up and be, be, be the Christ and sit on David's throne. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. So good. If you're a Jew and you're standing here in this, you're like, wait a minute. David prophesied it. He obviously wasn't talking about himself because he's dead. His grave is down the street. It's still with us. But David was talking about his seed. And who from David's seed has been raised up? Nobody but Jesus. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did seek corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. We know that Jesus was raised up. We are all witnesses. We all seen him. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which we now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Listen. They, they didn't know if they could believe Jesus, but they all believed David. The, the message that Peter preached 
was, was Peter using David's words to prove to them that Jesus was who David was talking about. This is who David was talking about. We know that God hath made this same Jesus whom you crucified. Let, don't let me slide by that part. You crucified him. Both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. What did they hear? They heard that Jesus was the Savior. They heard that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed on Jesus. Let me say it one more time. They believed on Jesus. For God, for those that would come to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. For God so loved the world that whosoever should believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. What we now see is the first step of salvation, belief. They believe. And, and if you really believe in Jesus, that is not the end of your salvational journey. Believing in Jesus is the beginning of your salvational journey. They believed and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do with this belief? Oh, hallelujah. That's why a lot of people have been left wanting because the church they came from or the preacher they heard preach told them that all they had to do was believe. But the only thing that belief leaves you with is a desire for more. I can't tell you how many people as a pastor, as a minister, and, 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 and now coming up on 16 or 17 years of full-time ministry, how many people I've sat down with and they said, man, you know, I believe I was baptized, but I just feel like there's so much more for me. And I'll say, man, you're on the right track. I'm so thankful you believe. I'm so thankful you was baptized. But can I tell you, you are at the starting line and God has so much more for you. When you believe, your response to true believing is, what shall I do? Uh, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. They were touched. They were touched in their hearts. Yeah. Watch what the word, the original context of the word means to be pricked in their heart. It means they were pierced. And were agitated. It is directly linked to this one expression. The expressed emotion of sorrow. They were convicted. Oh, can I preach to you that we do not need to have an apostolic church in 2022 that doesn't believe in conviction. We, we have to be convicted. The word should pierce us. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. The, 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 the power and the word of God that enters into us should pierce our spirits. It should bring us to sorrow. These men were not excited. These men didn't say, oh, man, this is awesome. What do we got to do? These men were sorrowful. They said, oh, no, we crucified our Lord. What do we have to do? What do we need to do? They believed, and that belief led them, their hearts, to an expressed emotion of sorrow. He said, oh, no. Listen, when you have true conviction, you have people that will say, 
man, what do I need to do to get right? What do I need to do to make this right? Every one of us in this room have had true conviction and sometimes not even a spiritual conviction, but even just a natural conviction between me and someone else that when I realize I've done someone wrong, my heart is convicted and I go to them and say, man, what do I need to do to make this right? How, how do I make, make amends between me and you? How do I make this right between me and you? And what these men didn't realize is what they were asking Peter is, how do we make this right between us and the Lord? How do we make that? How do we bridge this gap? How do we apologize? How do we, how do we fix this thing between us and the Lord? We feel like we're over here and God's over there. And what's the bridge that gets me to him and him to me? Oh, hallelujah. They were pricked in their hearts and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? They heard the message and the message moved them. The message moved their hearts, and they were willing to do anything that Peter was about to say. Peter could have said, get on a donkey, ride up to the top of, uh, of, the, of Mount of Olivet, and, and take a whip, and walk down from that mountain all the way down, take the road that Jesus walked all the way down to Calvary, and the whole way along, whip yourself, and that'll save you. You say, that's crazy. But there's people that do it today because someone told them that would save them. Someone told them that would mend their brokenness. Someone told them that if they, would, if they would walk on their hands and knees, crawl on broken glass, that there would be some kind of attribution that, would, that God would see them and, and, and fix their problem. When, when someone is truly convicted in their heart, no matter what you tell them next, they're going to do. Peter could have said, go stand in the corner and, and on your head and drink a gallon of ketchup. And they'd have been like, man, show me the corner and is the ketchup culture. They would have done whatever. When there is true conviction, your heart is open to whatever is said next. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's why this scripture is one of the only scriptures of salvational information. This is the beginning and this is the moment. Here's what I don't understand. What I don't understand is how men of God and people of God, people that know the word of God, will skim over this verse and say, oh, you don't have to do that today. That was just back then. I say you're crazy. You've lost your mind. And what you've done now is you put people in a place where they can't even get back to square one because you preached a convicting message. Anybody can preach Jesus. Anybody, listen, don't, don't tell me that some of these preachers ain't good preachers. Man, they are good preachers. They can preach up a storm. Here, the, 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 Acts 2.38 is not the message. It's the altar. It's what you do with the message. Ah, and that's why the Bible says that the same gospel was preached unto them, but it did them no benefit seeing as they did not mix it with faith that they were hearers of the word but not doers of the word because when the word hits you and it hits you right you're going to do whatever they said do and if and, and if I if I did not care for the validity and power of this scripture I would say I, I, I could preach you a message that would prick your heart and then I could tell you the doors of the church are open come on up shake my hand and you're saying you say well that's crazy but they're doing it right now 
Churches do it right now every Sunday and hundreds of thousands come and shake hands and shake hands with the preacher and the doors of the church are opened because they preached a good word. The word they preached was good. The problem is not the message. The problem is what do you do with the message? How do you do? Shaking my hand ain't in this Bible. Giving a seed offering ain't in this Bible. It ain't here. When, when, when men who were lost looked into the eyes of the apostles and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Here was the answer. Repent. You got to repent because you're wrong. You got to repent because you ain't right. You got to repent because every man has come short of the glory of God and failed. You got to repent. Nobody can get out of here without repenting. There must be a repentive spirit. Conviction is no good if you don't repent of what you've been convicted for. There has to be repentance. Now, I, I promised myself I wasn't going to preach tonight, but there ain't no way to preach Acts chapter 2 and not get a, a preach in your spirit. Peter told them what they had to do. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of the sins that you've been repenting for. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And what Peter was doing was he, Peter was preaching the gospel. Do you think Peter was, was, was going against Jesus' wishes? Do you think in this moment, in the most powerful moment in your Bible, the most, listen, it, it, from Genesis to Acts 2 is a culmination. You, you understand this, right? Oh, hallelujah. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. I'm talking, this is all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Everything is depending on this moment. Everything has come to this. He will no longer uh, write the laws on tablets of stone, but he will write his laws in their hearts. Come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing, and I will be your God, and I will walk in you. Everything is culminated to this moment. Do you think that Peter in this moment, the most important moment in the entire Bible, would miss it? Do you think that what he said holds no weight? Do you think that what he said next holds no value? Do you think that what he said next is just a, you know, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a good outline, but everybody don't need to do that. Do you think that, that, that what Peter said this, 50 days after Jesus died, do you think that this is not as important as what John said 68 years later? That whosoever shall believe in him shall be saved? What John said in John 3.16 is not salvational. John is writing a letter to the church. John is writing a historical collection of his experiences and thoughts. But John 3.16 is not a moment where men are looking at the preacher saying, what shall we do? When, when, when men who heard the message that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, that Jesus died for you, and you killed him, your sin killed him, your mistakes killed him, yeah, we all have to realize this, that he's talking to the Jews, but he's talking to every one of us because if we had no sin, if Adam and Eve wouldn't have done what they'd done in the garden, he wouldn't have to die. We killed him. We put him on that tree. 
we, we, he, because he died for me and he died for you. Guess what he died for? He died for our sins. And because we were sinners, he died. So every one of us put him on that cross. And when you hear that and you realize that and you realize that there is a gap between me and God, what shall I do? Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Go the other way. It's a military term. It's an about face. It's a different direction. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. The, the water washes it off and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We, 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 this just isn't an Acts 2.38 moment, but last, last Sunday, right up here, Kamoa Jackson came to the altar, repented of her sins. Uh, she told, I believe maybe Sister Denise, I need to get baptized right now. We got Kamoa up here, put her in the water, baptize her in Jesus' name. I told her, I said, Kamoa, when you come out of this water, the Holy Ghost is going to be on you. You just speak what you feel. I didn't, I didn't train her. I didn't teach her. But when she came out of that water, she came out speaking in a new tongue. Because this isn't just an Acts 2.38 moment. This is a right now moment. He's still doing this. You still need to do this repent be baptized and be filled with the Holy Ghost receive it he said uh, he said and 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 now Peter will continue this thought and he says for the promises unto you this is so good it's for you it's for your children it is to all that are far off as many as the Lord our God shall call and with many other words did he testify and exhort saying save yourselves from this untoward generation it ain't enough just to be saved but you got to save yourself you got to remove yourself from this world remove yourself from this generation you got to cut some things off you got to get rid of some activities you got to get rid of some relationships because Acts 2.38 is when God saves you. But Acts 2 and 40 is when you save yourself. Because you can be filled and be free on a Sunday, but go right back to it on a Monday. Come on, somebody. I got to save myself as well. And they gladly received the word, were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about three thousand souls and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine what what doctrine do the apostles have here's the apostle here's the doctrine of the apostles that David was prophesying about Jesus Jesus is the Messiah he died he rose again he has all power in heaven and in earth and if you want to be saved you repent you're baptized in Jesus' name, and he will give you the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the doctrine, and that is why we call ourselves apostolic. Apostolic has nothing to do with my denomination, ain't got nothing to do with my daddy, ain't got nothing to do with my grandpa and them, ain't got nothing to do with nobody else except this word. I believe what Peter preached, and so therefore, I'm an apostolic because I believe that doctrine. Not only do I believe that doctrine, but I preach that doctrine. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, yeah. Just because I signed up with some kind of denomination don't make me apostolic. Just because my church sign may say apostolic don't make me apostolic. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord and King? Do you believe that you should be baptized in his name, filled with his spirit? Then that makes you apostolic. Because we continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. 
and fear came upon every soul. Not fear, not, not, oh my God, Ooh. no, respect, reverence came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man hath need and they continued daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved two things I want to point out here and I'm going to be done tonight Number one, they believed they were together. They had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men. Is that apostolic? Should we all go sell everything we have and just live together in a commune? Nay, nay. This was not what Jesus told them to do. This is what they did. Luke has given a historical event of what happened in that moment. It was so powerful, it was so amazing that they thought, man, we could all live together. We could sell everything. We could all just live in this great commune because this is just for us and this would be awesome. We could just keep it for ourselves. We could just all, we ain't got to work no more. We just all live together. Everybody have everything in common. And what we'll do, we'll just fellowship every day. We'll go house to house. We'll, we'll, we'll break bread. We'll talk about the Lord. We'll praise God. We'll have favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. It's amazing. But that wasn't God's call for them. It wasn't God's plan. And what we're going to see in the next two chapters is God messing up the utopia that they thought they could build. You know what happened here? What happened here is what happened at the Tower of Babel. That's what happened here. They thought we could all be together. We could all just have one thing in common. We could build us a tower. This will be great. Us four, no more. Just here in Jerusalem. If you want to get saved, baby, you got to come to us. We ain't going to Judea. We ain't going to Samaria. We ain't going to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is just so fun. Isn't this awesome? Just us. I like you. You like me. Grandma can cook, but let's all hang out at Grandma's house. We're having a good old time. That's what they wanted because that's the human nature of people. But that was not the call for their life. Their call was Judea, Samaria, Asia. Their call. Matter of fact, in order for God to even get them out of this place of us all being together, he's got to kill some people and cause trouble in the church so that they would because while these, while these apostles start running away from all the hell that's happening, everywhere they stop along the way, they talk about Jesus and they preach. And somebody over here going to get it. Matter of fact, they won't even be called Christians until the, the church reaches about 320 miles from where they're at right now at a place called Antioch. <laughs> it was at Antioch that they finally started being called Christians. Because right now, they're not called Christians, they're called a cult. We're just all living under one roof and we're having a good old time, but that was not God's plan for their life. And people that say, oh, if we really want to be apostolic, everybody got to sell everything they have, and well, let's just all live together in one big commune. When you see them places, they all have one thing in common. They're crazy. 
And that's what these guys thought they could do, but God said, no, you got to go. The church is bigger than Jerusalem. The church is bigger than the four walls. The church is bigger than us. We got to go. We got to, there's a lost and dying world. We got to go. There's people over there. We got to go. There's people over there. We got to go. We, we, we can't just let the folks in that look like us, that talk like us, that smell like us. They got the same beliefs that we have. No, we got to let them all in the door. Everybody, whosoever will. The church said, amen. Stand with me. Is that good teaching tonight? Is that okay? Did I help, did I help somebody tonight? Yes. 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 Let me tell you what the early church did right. The early church did right. Is they fellowshiped a lot. They ate a lot. And they praised God a lot. I believe that one thing the church, the, the, the 2022 church is missing that was, that was here in this Acts, this Acts church is the fellowship of the brethren. We, we don't have to live together, but we can hang out. You can hang out with me. I can hang out with you. I don't have to be so caught up in my life out there that I forget my brothers and sisters in here. All throughout the New Testament, we're going to see this over and over again, that the fellowship and the breaking of bread, we should eat together. Yeah, that's why sometimes I say, hey, we're having a, a church hangout tonight, church cookout. We all come and we're going to cook out. You should break your neck to be at that because that is just as important as this. That is just as apostolic as this. Getting together, connecting, learning new names, loving on people, making new friends. Eating together, breaking bread, ribs. Messing with you, Brother Yusuf. <laughs> yeah, Lord. Just hanging out. Most of us in this room have connected with people more and that ball fit over there than we've ever connected ever. Because that is just, just as apostolic as this. Inviting someone out to dinner, hanging out with a family from the church, loving on each other is just as apostolic as what we're doing here tonight, studying the word of God. And it, the church needs to get back to that just as much as we need to get back to this. Amen. And somebody said, you show me a praying church, I'll show you a powerful church. Well, I believe that. We should pray. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. But, but, but you show me a church that loves one another, and I'll show you a church that's full of new people who want a little bit of what's going on in the room. Amen. They shall know that you are my disciples when they see how y'all connect. Because an unhealthy body, an unhealthy body can't add new members. It will reject new members. That's why people have these big Holy Ghost rallies, and two years later, nobody from the Holy Ghost rally still attends the church. Because an unhealthy body will reject new members. But a healthy body will receive it. And a healthy body can embrace it and make it become part of the body. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. We'll say, well, not them. Not them. No, not them. Listen, a human body can take a pig's heart, take the vials out of a pig's heart, put it in a human, and it'll work. Until the day you die, it'll work. You know why? Because a healthy body will take anything. A healthy body, oh, come on. I know some of y'all looking out there, some of them people out there are like, oh, they're going to be a part of this church? Absolutely they are. 
And you know what? We're going to let the Lord change them. We're going to let the Lord work on them. And if the body will love them and assimilate, pretty soon they look just like us. And they'll be looking for somebody who used to look like them. Come on in the house. Come on in. A healthy body. Yes, I love it. I love it. Ain't God good. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. Lord, I pray that each one of us. We want to thank you again for joining us on the Truth Chapel podcast. May you have a blessed day and walk in the favor of the Lord.